right. <clears throat> Good morning, Journey Church. How are we doing this? Awesome. Uh, man, I'll, I'll be honest. I'm, I'm a little rattled this morning. Nothing has gone according to plan uh, this morning. And of course, it's my turn to to preach and teach. So just so you just so you know, it's uh, our, our little guy's just not been sleeping too well, and so it's been some some late nights. And sure enough, I come this morning to print out my sermon notes, and guess what doesn't work this morning? The, the, the printer, right? Of course it doesn't work. So not only am I just like flying blind this morning, I'm flying with like zero energy. So this is going to be a fantastic sermon or the, or the worst one you ever hear. So if you are new to Journey Church, I am uh, Jimmy. I predominantly lead our uh, youth. Oh, Kidmo. See? Kidmo. Um, yeah. <laughs> I fit right in with Scott and, and, uh, and Mark forgetting to announce for Kidmo. Um. But yeah, just flying blind and just feeling tired. And um, if you are new here to Journey Church, um, I, I'm, I'm Jimmy. I, I, I lead our uh, middle school, high school ministries. Uh, Pastor Mark, um, if you are new to Journey Church, had recently um, lost his father. And so those funeral services were yesterday, um, kind of near the Knoxville area. So the Love family is, is up over there uh, doing that. But uh, just know. He, he's our—he's the big gun here, um, and we have a great associate pastor, Pastor Scott. So you're not even getting second string this morning; you're getting third string. Uh, so, like I said, I mean, if, if this is a great sermon, just know it gets better from here. And if it's a horrible sermon, it doesn't get worse than this. <laughs> so take some comfort in that. Um, we have been, gosh, I think two months strong at least in this series in Genesis, and Mark's been been teaching it differently than I have historically learned even in my seminary classes on how to how to teach it and it has just been blowing my mind the way that he's been going about it um just you know right in in America modern teacher teaching we we do lecture style uh teaching it's just transfer of information but Mark has been showing us this kind of more eastern way of just self-discovery looking at chiasms um looking at midrashes which are uh Hebrew commentary or like oral traditions that were passed on during that time and I've just I've been finding it super um, it's just been really incredible so I'm hoping to to do a little bit of that way of teaching uh, like Mark but um, to kind of just bring everything together because I think this is this might be the second to the last uh, for the Genesis for it uh, yeah, sin is sin, and, and that that we do see. And but the the chiasm that Mark showed us. You guys, did anyone remember what was the big question that God was asking? Is really all about where are you? And God is looking for you. God's always been looking for you. He's been looking for me. And and our entire lives is 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 spent reaching out for God as God has been reaching out for, for us. I love this saying that Don. Says all all the time. Says God's always talking. We're just not always listening. Um, and it's just like, where am I? Where am I that I'm not I'm not listening? Um, there were um, a couple themes. I don't normally have my laptop up here. See, four themes that Mark was walking us through when it came to the life of Abraham. So these will sound familiar if you've been with us the last few weeks. Abraham was willing to love people more than himself and you and we saw that in the way that he took 
Sarai in when no one else kind of would, and no one really had a good reason to to accept someone who wasn't going to produce children, and, and Abraham still loved her and cared for her. Uh, when God invited him to follow, Abraham followed. Now, we did learn from an oral tradition that Abraham's life was also in danger, that Nimrod was definitely out to kill him for worshiping Yahweh instead of the false gods of the day. So did Abraham also need a rescue? A hundred percent. And and I love how Mark said it this way. If you're, a, if you're a Christian, chances are you are a Christian because of two things. One, God invited you to follow, and you said, yes, I'm going to follow. But you're also a Christian because you recognized you needed a rescue. And those two things is how we match up Jesus as two things, Lord I follow you, Savior, I need you. That's how we wrap up Jesus. Uh, Abraham, he learned from his mistakes. And this is the, the, the beauty of Scripture. Did you realize that in the, in the Bible, there's really only one hero in the, in, in the Bible? And that's Jesus. Um, there's only one good person in the entire Bible, and that's, that's Jesus. Everyone else who's gone on to do these amazing, miraculous things, Noah, Moses, King David, the Apostle Paul, did these guys screw up? Huge, hugely. So I love that the, the Bible puts you and I in great company, um, that God uses anybody, even if you make mistakes. Because the final point is what's the most important point, and this is my favorite point, God is faithful even when we are not. Um, didn't intend to share this story. See, I'm flying blind. Um, I remember once I was uh, invited to this dinner where a high school senior was graduating. This uh, mom and dad wanted me to attend along with the elders of their church to pray over their son who was about to graduate high school and to share some words of wisdom. So we showed up and had a great dinner and we prayed over him. And I'm in this room of, of mostly men. And let's just say that they were aged. Like, I think the, young, the next youngest person might have been like in the late 60s. Everyone else was like in their 70s or 80s. And then here I am, like 27. And we're all going around in a circle talking to this young gentleman. What do you need to know about God? What, if we had to leave you with one best piece of advice to give to this young gentleman, they all consistently said the same thing. All these old men said the exact same thing. They said, God is faithful. We need you to know God is faithful. You have to understand God is so faithful. And I'm, I'm listening. I'm, I'm like, I think I need these words just as much as this, this high school student needs hear these words, and I, am in, I was in shock and I was in awe that here are these men at the end of their lives. I mean, they have seen anything. They probably have seen it all, and yet their one conclusion is God is faithful. I love that they can look at the rearview mirror of their lives and determine that God is still faithful. So we're going to look at Jacob today. Jacob kind of flips these four points here a little bit. Uh, Jacob, and we'll see this in the story, Jacob loved his favorites. And, and he had some favorites, and you'll, you'll see that. But 
And don't think that Jacob just loved everybody. Jacob loved his favorites, and unfortunately, he unloved those who weren't his favorites. Uh, Jacob did not follow God by invitation, not all the time. He mostly followed God because he kept getting himself into a mess, and he needed a rescue. And that's just the way that God guided him, is he just made a mistake, and God pushed him in that direction. He made another mistake, and God had to save him again. Um, so that's how Jacob's uh, story kind of works. Jacob, he would not learn from his mistakes until the end of his life. Uh, so this is something that maybe Mark will, will touch on next week when we're, we're talking about Joseph. But, um, I mean, Jacob, he's, he's deceitful. He's a liar. It's really hard in, in today's story to, to find a redeeming quality uh, of Jacob because the guy just keeps, keeps making some wrong decisions. He keeps playing favoritism. Uh, even after his favorite wife, Rachel, dies, he just transfers that favoritism onto Joseph. Um, and then even when Joseph presumably dies, he just passes on that favoritism onto Benjamin. So it's like the guy doesn't really ever learn until the end of his life. Um, which begs this one question for today. Because the patriarchs go Abraham, Isaac, Esau. No, they don't go Esau, they go Jacob. So it begs the question, just why Jacob? Um, some of the stuff that, that I've gotten to learn in, in the Bema podcast and, and Marty Solomon is in the Hebrew culture, right, and I'm sure some of you guys have already heard this and know this, your firstborn. Firstborn carries the legacy. Your firstborn carries the story. Everything that you are about, what the family is about, all that responsibility falls on the firstborn. And that should be Esau. He was the firstborn. Rebe I didn't do this backstory real quick. Rebecca, the wife of Isaac, has twins. And while she's pregnant, she's feeling a little bit of turbulence, a little bit of conflict in here. And she asks God, she inquires of God, what's happening in here? And God says, surprise, it's twins. That's, I'm sure, is always a surprise. Anyone who's ever had twins, I'm sure that's got to be a shocker. And you're like, you're told it's not one but two. And then God tells her, these are two people groups. These are two nations in your belly. And they are going to be at conflict with one another. And then he says something really interesting. God says, the older will serve the younger. Which is really not typical of the Hebrew culture. So God... Esau, and why is it Jacob? So we got to start with this uh, one story that, that Jacob's famous for, um, and given his brother stew and turn for his birthright. So we'll just, there's going to be a lot of reading today. I think Mark has me covering like eight or nine chapters. I'm not going to make you read all of that today, um, but we, there's going to be some reading today. So put on your seatbelt, put on your heart hat. It's, uh, let's go here, Genesis 25. When Jacob had cooked stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was famished. Esau said to Jacob, Please, let me have a swallow of that red stuff there, for I am famished. Therefore, his name is called Edom. Um, but Jacob said, First, sell me your birthright. Esau said, Behold, I am about to die, so what use is then a birthright to me? And Jacob said, First, swear to me. So he swore to him, sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau birthright, and he ate and drank and rose and went on his way. Then Esau despised, or thus Esau despised his birthright. 
So again, this is not credited to me. Marty Solomon really opened my eyes to this. The firstborn, they get a double portion. Now, a double portion of what exactly? Sure, a double portion of the estate, you know, a double portion of, of stuff. But you know what that also comes with is a double portion of the responsibility. And that responsibility, I mean, at that time, that was an honor. That was a privilege to carry on the family legacy, to be the one who's going to be the provider and the protector of, of everyone. The responsibility was something to be proud of. And sometimes in our culture, how has our mindset of responsibility changed a little bit? A lot. I mean... Just saying, I'm hesitant to get a pet. Why do you think I'm really hesitant to get a pet? Because it's a lot of responsibility, and I can barely keep a toddler alive. Like, it's so much responsibility. I don't want, I don't want a pet. It's too much. It's too much work. It's responsibility. Now, I, I don't. Esau's not here to defend himself. I don't know what exactly Esau's thinking. But does it sound to you that Esau's birthright means a lot to him? No. I mean, it's stew. It's, it's stew. I mean, there's some great stews, don't get me wrong. My wife makes a great you know, tortilla chicken soup. But I'm not about to just sell something that is incredibly valuable for stew. A hint, a picture to you and I that Esau did not think much of his birthright. He didn't think much about responsibility and what this meant for the family. And it gets worse. Esau does some other stuff. In Genesis 26, when Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, the daughter of Veri, the Hittite, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. And they these would, uh, brought grief to Isaac and Rebekah. And then later on, in, in 28, and then Esau went to Ishmael. We know who that is. That would be Isaac's brother. Married, and besides the wives that Isaac already had, uh, Mahathalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, sister of Nebaioth. Okay. So you might remember when, when Abraham was thinking about a bride for Isaac, you guys remember, did Abraham say, hey, Isaac, just marry within this, this foreign land? No. Isaac gave specific instructions to a servant, and that servant was to go and find a bride back in Abraham's country. Esau, what are you doing? We, we, you're not supposed to be marrying amongst these peoples, and does Esau care? He doesn't care. He just marries whoever he wants. Again, it just does not sound like Esau's compliant. It does not sound like Esau wants to follow the God story that's set by his grandfather Abraham set by his father Isaac, and he says, no, I, am going to, I want to go a completely different direction. Could it be God sees that, God knows that, but here we have Jacob. Jacob, he wants it. I mean, Jacob, he wants the birthright. He wants the responsibility. He wants to carry the story. Ever since he was born 
he's been grabbing at it. Sells, uh, tricks his brother Esau into, into the birthright, and then eventually he would steal. Oh, this isn't great. <laughs> he would steal the blessing as well from his brother Esau. So it's one of those horrible things like, man, it's really hard to like, God, you must be really faced with a tough decision. You have Esau, you have one kid that doesn't, that doesn't want it, and then you have the other kid who wants it too bad that he's willing to steal for it. But I think this is it, though. I think God, I think God can work with the guy who wants it. He just needs help getting it right. I think God can correct the way we do things, but when it comes to heart Heart motivation, I, I think you, you have it or you don't. I think you want God or you don't. But if you want God and you're just having trouble getting there, I think God is more than happy to work with you and partner with you. And I think that's what's awesome about Jacob. So God wants to use those who are passionate. There's the big question for, for today is, do the results justify the methods? That's, that's with Jacob. You know God chose Jacob. Jacob's meant to have the birthright. That's He's supposed to. God wants him to have the birthright. God wants him to have the blessing. Perfectly fine, right, that Jacob totally lied. Right? Lying's okay, as long as it's for a good cause, right? Right? I mean, it's, that's the way it works, and that's, that's obviously not the way it works. So do the, the results justify the methods? And the, the answer is a big, big no. Absolutely not. But here's the big here's the big idea. Can God still can God still work with this? Absolutely. I think the redeeming quality in Jacob is that God is so faithful and yet so sovereign that his will cannot be thwarted, it cannot be stopped, it cannot be hindered, even when you and I make bad choices. And Jacob will make some bad choices, deceiving his, his father. I, I was going to read through that story, but that is a lot of reading um, that I will spare you from. But he makes a wrong decision. <clears throat> um, sorry, here's my notes here. Oh, wait, I did, I did put it here. We'll read it, Genesis 27. This is what Esau had to say about the, the blessing being stolen. So it came about as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob. So Jacob just tricked Isaac. Uh, Jacob had hardly gone from the presence of Isaac. That means Jacob is still around when his brother Esau comes back. Esau, his brother, came in from hunting. Uh, He also made savory food for his dad, brought it to his father. He said, let my father arise, eat of his son's game that you may bless me. Isaac, his father, said to him, who are you? And he said, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was he then that hunted game and brought it to me so that I ate of it before you came and blessed him? Yes, he shall be blessed. But when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. He said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. And he said, your brother came deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. Then he said, Isaac, or Esau said this, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. 
Two quick things to point out here. Esau, angry, absolutely. And he, but he tells Isaac, what just will bless me too? Why can't there be two blessings? Why can't you take it back? Just take it back from Jacob and put it on Esau. What, what's wrong with that? And this is something, again, I, I can't take credit for this. Marty Solomon in the, in the, the Bama podcast said this. In the Hebrew culture, he says, words matter. And something that's kind of lost, again, in, in, in our contemporary uh, culture. In fact, we actually have this saying, right? We, always, we say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. <laughs> that's a lie. Because... Words matter. Whoever came up with that, I don't know what they were thinking, but words absolutely hurt you, and words absolutely matter. And in this culture, when you, know, you, when you gave your yes, it was a commitment. It was a yes. Something that Jesus later on has to kind of bring back, let your yes be a yes and let your no be a no. And Jesus says, don't, why are you swearing by the moon? Why are you swearing by the stars? Why do you have to swear by things in order to convince people that you're trustworthy. Shouldn't you just be trustworthy? And my dad would tell me, he goes, I remember, son, I remember the days when two men could shake hands on a deal, and that's all you needed. Nowadays, you better get it in writing. Because that's just how the world has changed. So Isaac cannot take back this blessing. Words matter. It is given. And these words, they are meant to accomplish there's purpose and power behind these words, and they are meant to bless this person. And this blessing is gone out, sent, signed, delivered. And, it, and Jacob has it. He can't take it back. And then finally, Esau, he says this. He goes, isn't my brother rightly named Jacob? So when they were born, Esau, he was born with essentially red hair. They're just, you know, red-headed kid. But in the Hebrew culture, just there's e, Edom, E for red, uh, and Sair for like hairy. So they literally named Red Harry, <laughs> Esau. Wow. Right? Wow, that's great. If you were just looking for some for some baby names, just <laughs> I don't know, little Blondie. I don't know. Uh, that's what I call Ezra, maybe. Who knows? Um, and then you have Jacob. His name. Uh, it just it just means heel holder. There's nothing wrong with that. That's the way he was born. He was holding heel. But the Hebrew idiom for for someone who grabs grabs the heel is uh, supplanter, usurper, cheater. So notice that in Jacob's name, there's a positive spin to Jacob's name, but there's a negative aspect to Jacob's name. And Esau is saying he's not the positive Jacob. He's definitely that negative Jacob. And that's exactly how Jacob, Jacob is living out this identity, the negative side of his identity. He's living out his name as a cheater, as a stealer, as a usurper, as a supplanter. Um, and that's kind of like who he's becoming. And not to get too carried away, but in a few decades, like Jacob will become so good at lying. It'll get to the point where he even kind of deceives himself. So this is how you know, like, when you tell a lie, what do you have to do to cover up a lie? You tell another lie. But then when that lie needs to be covered up, what do you need to do? You tell another lie. 
And you tell so many lies that eventually you become the lie. It actually becomes your identity. And you have self-deceived yourself, and now you've convinced yourself of this lie. And it gets to a point where far future, Jacob has, has married Leah and Rachel. Eve, um, uh, Jacob's uncle's house, his name is Laban or Laban, and they, they stole his idol, his household idols. And Laban's searching the camp and he's trying to find these idols and Jacob's like, they're not here, they're not here, they're not here. And he's so convinced in, in this lie, he gets to this point where he says, let there be a death curse on the one who stole these idols. You know who stole these idols? Rachel. Who's, who's uh, Jacob's favorite wife? Rachel. What a bummer. I'm like, this guy has become so much of a Jacob, a liar and a deceit, that he's gone so far as to put a death curse on the woman that he loves. And she will die. That's, it's, and he blames himself. It's a tough thing to live with. Um, but he will learn from his mistakes. So in today's sermon, we'll see that Jacob... He, he wants it. He just goes about it the wrong way. And it's going to cause a lot of wrestling for him. And this is where I really wanted to tie your story in with his story is you and I, we're wrestling. You heard me. This morning, I'm wrestling with a printer. My wife's been wrestling with a toddler during the nights. You guys are, are wrestling with stuff at work. You guys are wrestling with stuff within your own families. Um, you and I are never not wrestling. And what today I want to see in the life of Jacob is there are three ways that we wrestle. And at the end of this, I want you to see that wrestling isn't all bad, but actually good for us. So in the story of Jacob, he is meant for birthright. He's meant for blessing, but he makes some wrong decisions. You and I, you go ahead and put this up, Jeremy. Sometimes you and I... Um, we wrestle with the consequences that we make. You and I make some wrong choices, and we and I have to pay those consequences, but it's not without hope. So while Jacob is on the run for his life, because guess what? Esau wants to kill him. This is uh, where, where God stops Jacob on the road. In, in Genesis 28, he says, Behold, the Lord stood and said, I am the Lord, the God of your uh, father Abraham, God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I give it to you, to your descendants. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south, and in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you. I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will uh, not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. As did Jacob blow it? I mean, did he make a really awful mistake? Did he do an awful thing to his father Isaac? Did he do an awful thing to his brother Esau? Yeah. And yet, here's God showing up, and he, what's he doing? He's repeating the promise. Now, this is, this is important for, I mean, really, any, as a parent, any parents in the room, I know that my son, Ezra, he's going to make some, some mistakes. 
but I'm, I'm hoping that I will still be able to get on both my knees and see him at eye level and, and repeat to him the promise, I love you. What you did wasn't right. We'll talk about some, some consequences. But what I need you to know up front is I need, I need to be repeating the promises to my son, Ezra. It is important for me to keep repeating the promise to my son. You are loved. You are accepted in his family. Like This doesn't change the way I feel about you. I love you, and I will keep repeating that promise. And God is repeating the promise that he made to Abraham. He's repeating the promise he made to Isaac. And now here he is, a, a Jacob that's scared and on the run, and he's repeating the promise again. Jacob has a response to God, and this is really interesting. Genesis 28, look what Jacob says in response to this. Jacob made a vow, means Jacob made an oath, or he made a promise. But this is not just any kind of promise, this was called a conditional promise. Anything that starts with an if usually has a then. So he says, if God will be with me, and if he keep me on the journey that I take, and will give me food to eat, garments to wear, and if I return to my father's house in safety, then what? The Lord will be my God. Which kind of tells me something. It's a little bit telling, and maybe I'm just reading too deep into the text. Maybe Jacob's not all on team God right now. Could be. I, I, I could be wrong in reading the text, but from if this conditional statement is true, then that Jacob is putting God to the test. And he says, God, there are some things... If I see you fulfill these things, then you will have me. But as of right now, God, you do not have me. So keep, keep this conditional promise because it'll, it'll become important um, here at Genesis 32. So after 20 years, in 20 years, um, Jacob has worked, well, 14 years for his two wives and another six years uh, for his uncle uh, Laban. Laban would, would really cheat him, not, not just deceiving him in, into marrying Leah, but we actually know that when, Jake, uh, when Jacob was working for him, he changed his salary 10 times. Can you imagine like, hey, we, want, we need you to do this project, you know, we'll, we'll pay you 10 grand for it, and you do the project and they just pay you 10 bucks for it. I mean, just imagine, I mean, 20 years of just being cheated out by your employer, um, who's your family member, too. So he, he's gone 20 years of, of just this awful, awful situation. It's time for him to come back. Um, and let me see here. Abraham. God calls him back. So we'll go ahead and put Genesis 32, 9. Jacob said, O God, my father Abraham, God, my father Isaac, O Lord, you said to me to return to the country, to your relatives, and I will prosper you. Uh, he says, Listen to this. I am unworthy of all the loving kindness and of all the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant. For with my staff only I crossed the Jordan, and now I've become two companies. So just kind of pause for a second. This is 20 years after he has made this conditional promise to God. He said, God, if you give me food to eat, give me clothes to wear, give me basic necessities, and let me come back. To, to Esau, let me come back to my homeland in safety. Then you will be my God. And here he is, 20 years later, he says, when I was first here, I just had a stick. And now, 20 years later, I'm coming back, and I have two, I have two families. 
And God at this point has blessed him. You can call it four, four wives. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know if that's a blessing actually. But four wives, because they each came with a maidservant, and 11 sons. And he's acquired a lot of cattle. He's acquired a lot of wealth. I mean, it's, he's coming back with more than just a stick. God is really taking good care of him. And his response is, I am unworthy. He is just humbled by God's faithfulness. So um, he says, with my staff only, I crossed the Jordan. Now I've become two companies. And he says now, he's about to meet Esau. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. For I fear him, that he will come and attack me and the mothers and, and with my children for you said, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which is too great to be numbered. So he spent the night there. And he had with him a present for his brother Esau. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me. And afterward, I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. As Jacob is coming back to the land, does he know who's, who's there waiting for him? His brother Esau. And the last time he saw his brother Esau, maybe 20 years ago, it wasn't good. Esau wanted to kill him. And when Jacob asks for information, he kind of lets Esau know, like, you don't want to just surprise the person who's trying to kill you. You may want to test the water a little bit, right? So he lets Esau know I'm coming. Esau is showing up with 400 men. What does that what does that smell like? What does that sound like? Does that sound like it's a welcome party? Does it sound like we went ahead and went to Food City and got some balloons and some flowers and some cards and say, Welcome back, you dirty little cheat? You know? Four hundred men sounds like Jacob's in trouble. And so here he is, he's praying to God, help me. And he's doing something very interesting. What's the practical thing he's doing here? He's putting together a, a gift. Thank you, Rafi. Look at that. Youth, youth group win right there. He's preparing a gift, right? This is classic, right? If you ever see me in, or our house and I'm showing up with, with flowers for, for Francis, you can assume one thing. I'm in trouble. I, I did something real dumb. So I'm, I'm showing up and I'm bringing flowers and gifts and chocolate and all this stuff, all right? Every, every, every guy's done this, I'm sure. Uh, except you, Don. I know you're, you're the perfect husband here. So he's putting together this gift to, to appease Esau. And, and this, is just a, this is just like a cool little fact thing that I, I came across. You see that word appease? Uh, I don't always get to like do some Hebrew stuff, but every now and then I'll, I'll fool around with my, my software. That word appease... In Hebrew, the word, it's the word kapur, which might sound some familiar to, to some of you guys who know a little bit about Hebrew language, but what is the most important day of the Jewish calendar? Yom Kippur. In Yom Kippur, that is the day of atonement. It is the day where the, the high priest cleanses himself, comes in with two sacrifices. It's one for himself and then the sacrifice for your family. And this is the Day of Atonement. This is the day where God's wrath gets appeased. And it's just it's really interesting that we see it here as early as Genesis. It's a, and what it is, it's, it's a complete foreshadow. The Bible does this to you all the time. Again, we're just not always paying attention. 
but it's using the word kapoor, and it's on purpose. So you and I, when you and I make a wrong decision, there are some consequences. Something needs to appease the consequences, a gift, a sacrifice. And it's, we know who it is. It's Jesus who will come along, become that gift for you and I to appease the wrath of God. I, it's just awesome. It's like a hyperlink in this text here. We just clicked on it. Um, some really quick ideas here because I'm going a little bit longer than I wanted to. When you and I mess up, there's some, some three things here in this text. There's repentance, restitution, uh, and atonement. <sighs> conflict. Everyone's familiar with conflict, right? Someone does something, it irks you, we sin against somebody, and what do we do? Here's real quick, here's the practical stuff for you. If you were the one, okay, who made the offense, it is, it is on you to ask for forgiveness. If you were the victim and you were the one who was sinned against, okay, it, it is on you to re- rebuke. And there's this really cool passage, we'll go there, but in Romans 12, Paul says something. He says, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. In other words, what he's saying is, whatever part you're on, whatever side of the fence you're on, you have a responsibility to do. If you were the one who, who caused the offense, God would urge you, call you, tell you, you need to come to that person and you need to ask for forgiveness. And if you were the victim, God says, what's on your part? You need to tell them. You need to rebuke them. You need to say, hey, this is, this is how you hurt me. So I'll tell you, most of the time, most of the time, not all the time, they don't know what they did. They don't, they don't know they hurt you. They didn't know that what they, what they said to you, you took it that way, or you know, what they didn't do. Sometimes people just don't know, and you just, you just need to give them a chance to, to ask for forgiveness. But whatever it is your part to play, you ask for forgiveness or you give forgiveness. But here's, here's the cool part in this text. The, the, the gift that, that Jacob brings to Esau, it's not just for appeasement. Right? Did Jacob steal from Esau? Is that true? Well, guess what? If you steal from somebody, is it? I mean, it might be sometimes just good enough to say I'm sorry. But most of the time, you probably should pay back what you stole. I mean, if it's a family member, I sold you this. You know, we sold them this car for for ten thousand dollars. They took the car, but they never gave the ten thousand dollars. You know, I'm, I'm, this is not a real story. This is hyper, just a made-up story, you know. And then years could go by, and the person's like, oh, man, I, I, never, I never paid you for that car. I'm really sorry about that. Will you accept my apology? Well, I accept your apology, and, you know, I, I forgive you. God kind of says I have to. Um, I forgive you. But that money was meant, was meant for something. You know, like we, we couldn't start our son's college fund because you never gave us that money. So there are consequences to, to not doing what's called restitution. Um, and that's what Jacob does. All right, we got to speed up here a little bit. 
So we wrestle with the consequences of our own choosing, our own mistakes. We always shoot ourselves in the foot, but we also can wrestle with the consequences of the decisions of others. And this is where I want to turn your attention now to Leah. Uh, Genesis 29, uh, Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful of form and face. Now Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than any other uh, man, so stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of his love for her. Um, I know it sounds so romantic, right? Oh, he, he worked seven years, but he was so in love with Rachel. They just seemed but a few days. Can you just imagine? I'm like, I washed all these many dishes for my, my wife, Frances, but they seemed but only like a teacup. I'm like, I don't know where the Bible gets this stuff. Point, point of this here is, look what it says about Leah. Look what it says about Rachel. It says, Leah had weak eyes. And this is where Bible translators kind of go off in, in many different places here. Historically, this is taught that uh, this is a Hebrew idiom for she, she was not attractive. Uh, she, she wasn't bright, bright-eyed. Um, you know, weak eyes. Now, there were some cool little midrashes that, that Mark threw my way, um, that her, her weak eyes maybe had been from so much crying. Um, one midrash had suggested that uh, Laban and his sister, Rebecca, were probably in good communication, um, and that maybe, and, and arranged marriages were a thing back then, right? So it sounds actually pretty sound that Laban and Rebecca would have been in conversation saying, hey, um, I've got two boys, you've got two girls, why not the older marry the older, and why not the younger marry the younger? Uh, and it's kind of said that Leah always knew that she was Esau, but she knew the kind of guy that Esau was, and she was like, please, God, spare me from this man. I don't want to be married to an awful guy like that. And she'd cried and cried, and she cried so much that that's why she had uh, weak eyes. That could totally be legit. Um, it was my first time reading a, a midrash, um, but that was a really interesting. But here's the here's the here's the problem. This is Genesis 29. The problem is here. Uh, so Jacob went into Rachel also. This is after he had married Leah, and indeed he loved Rachel more, more than Leah, and he served Laban another seven years. The Lord saw that Leah was unloved. And he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Sometimes we wrestle with the consequences of other people's decisions. Leah, Leah had to wrestle with the consequences of being unloved. For whatever reason, I mean, if it's because of her physical beauty, then what, a, what an awful, awful guy to, to treat someone purely on the basis of their attractiveness is an awful, awful thing to do. And here's what we know about God. When, when, when someone was in trouble and oppressed, and, and, and in, in this text, it's, it's been females. Look at Hagar. Hagar was not treated well by Abraham or, or Sarah. Did God hear her cry and hear her plea? 100%. And here you have another woman who is being mistreated by the men of the same family 
and he hears her cry. Because she's fearful that she's going to be divorced. Now here she is, uh, she's been married, and then she'd be divorced. No, maybe no one's going to want me. And, and to be an unmarried woman meant no property, no protection, no voice. It would, it would be an awful situation. So God sees that. God opens up her womb, and she starts producing sons. And the minute she starts producing sons, at this point, Jacob cannot divorce her. He has secured Leah in this family by doing so. Uh, and Anne, oh my God, this gets so much better, by the way. All right. So you know that from Jacob come the 12 tribes of Israel. The entire nation of Israel will be made from these 12 boys that they have. You know where half of them come from? Leah. Leah will do six of the 12 tribes, and it gets better. (laughs) From Leah will come two tribes in particular, one called Judah, the other one called Levi. Now, why are these two important? Judah is the royal line. It is royalty. This is where you get King David. And from King David, we get Jesus. So she is the queen, the capital Q, the first queen. And Levi is the high priesthood. The high priesthood. That came from the gal who was unloved, from the gal who was mistreated. What a God. I'm, I'm just, what a God to bless her in that way. Now, eventually he would remember Rachel and open up her womb as well. Here's the, the last point. So we wrestle with the consequences of our own decisions. We wrestle with the consequences of other people's decisions. And sometimes we wrestle with the consequences of God's decisions. So there's a moment where Jacob is going to wrestle in the dark. God. Let's just read this story here real quick, Genesis 32. Then Jacob was left alone. This is just before his encounter with Esau. A man wrestled with him until daybreak. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh. The socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled him. Then he said, the angel, let let me go, for dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. He said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob named the place Peniel, which he said, it means the face of God. For I have seen the face of God, uh, and yet my life has been preserved. The sun rose upon him just as he crossed over uh, Penuel, and he was limping on his thigh. Guys, there are sometimes, I, I don't need to spend much time telling you this, there are some, some things that come our way that have no rhyme or reason. There are things that happen to us, medical diagnosis, um, relationships falling apart, job loss, natural disaster. I mean, the list goes on and on. There there are things that we had no part or play in, and yet this storm came into our lives anyway. Sometimes we are just wrestling with life. 
And just like this, it's wrestling in the dark. It's in the dark. You don't see it. You don't understand it. You don't have answers. We're just wrestling in the dark. And from what I know in this passage, and, and I have yet, let me just say this, I have yet to really face some, some troubling things in my life. God has, at this point, spared me for some, from really hard wrestling moments. But when I imagine what it would be like for me to, to be dealing with something so incredibly difficult, I feel like I would be at a point where the only thing I would be able to do is just hang on. And that's what I see Jacob here doing. He's wrestling, and he's wrestling. And it's not like he's wrestling for a couple minutes. I mean, I, Evan, you're a wrestler. How tiring is wrestling? It gets pretty tiring pretty quickly. This is a Jacob who's wrestled eight hours overnight. He's exhausted, but he won't let go of God. He won't let go because there's a blessing, which is a, a a wild thing for me to say for someone who has who's really been kept away from, from from some real wrestling matches. But when I sit in a room of 70-year-olds and 80-year-olds who have wrestled for decades and decades and decades, and they can sit there and tell this young high school student, God is faithful. That tells me that these men hung on for that blessing. Sometimes you and I, we are just wrestling with God. And we just got to hang on because he is still faithful. Big idea for today is wrestling produces resilience and character. You've heard Mark up here. He's, he's told you there's, there's a stream of Christianity. There's a stream of a gospel that tells you you'll prosper. There's a stream of Christianity that will tell you that if you just Christ, your life will be perfect and you'll be spared from any more wrestling in your life. And well, number one, that's just practically not reality. That's not true. It's a lie. But secondly, wrestling is good for you and I. Very quick story. I, I, I knew of this parent back in, in California and, and, and she had once told me as she was raising up her, her children... She, 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 she did all, all the cooking for them. She did all their laundry. She folded their bed for them. She picked out their clothes for them. She took them to school. Because here's what we tell ourselves, right? What, what good parent doesn't do stuff for their kids, right? What good parent doesn't do stuff for their kids? That sounds great and good. And when this son grew up, and I'm talking like 18, 20-year-old, you know what he couldn't do? anything. He didn't know how to cook. He didn't know how to do laundry. He didn't know how to take the bus. Guys, wrestling is good for you and I because it produces resilience. It produces character. And it works just like that in relationships too. I, as a counselor, my wife, a therapist, if someone, a couple, were to come in and say, oh, we never fight. We never fight. Number one, I'm calling BS. <laughs> but two, show up and say, oh, 
my wife and I, my husband and I, we don't fight. Look how great we are. And I go, no. No, the fact that you two don't fight tells me one thing. Not that you're great. It tells me that you two are living separate lives. The fact that you two never fight, there's never any conflict or tension between you, that just tells me that you are not involved in each other's worlds at all. Tension and conflict and wrestling is good. It's good for you and I to experience. Is it easy? No. But all things worth worth having, they're worth it. Last, last analogy here. In seven months, we're going to have a new baby. For all the moms in the room, nine months of carrying a, a little baby, is that a little bit of a wrestling? Is that easy? All the moms in the room, labor, is that kind of like a wrestling match? But when that child is born and that child is in your arms, do you tell yourself, was the wrestling worth it? The wrestling was worth it. Why Jacob over Esau? Jacob wants it. Jacob wants God. He needs some help. And he's going to wrestle his entire life. But God will be faithful. God will be faithful. The blessing will come. Hang on. Hang on. Because the wrestling is good for you and I. And it will be worth it in the end. Heavenly Father, pray for my brothers and sisters in this room. Lord, men and women who I know are wrestling. Or if there's, there's few things in this life that I know, but one thing I know for sure is that the struggle is real. And everyone here is wrestling with, with someone or something in their life. And I want to encourage them through the life of Jacob. You did not abandon Jacob. You didn't give up on Jacob, no matter how many mistakes he made. You stayed faithful. To and I know that you will stay faithful to each one of us. Or if we just want it. We hang, we hang on to you. We grab on to you. And we refuse to let go of you, no matter what how hard the wrestling gets, that you would bless us. So I please pray for my brothers and sisters, will you bless, bless them in their wrestling, that it produces in us resilience, it produces in us character. And it's in your name that we thank you, especially for your son Jesus, who provided the kapoor for all of us in this room. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.